morning. Good morning. I'm here with Julius Ferraro. Uh, we're at the Moore College of Art and Design radio station, TGMR, the galleries at Moore. I'm Roberta Fallon. And so Julius, I'm talking with Julius. He's a repeat customer at the radio station. He was here before with his collaborator, uh, Amanda Wagner. Wagner. I'm so <laughs> sorry. I just remembered. Ama Amanda Wagner. Uh, and the two of them created an online publication called Curate This, which is really wonderful. But today we're going to talk to Julius because he wears many hats. And one of them is playwright. He's a writer, a playwright, an editor-in-chief of Thinking Dance, which is a very nice online uh, magazine about dance. He's a performer. He's a project coordinator for, coordinator for mural arts. And so today we want to talk about playwriting because Julius just wrote a play. He has written other plays before. But this is the new one, and it's getting birthed in the world at the end of March at the Da Vinci Art Alliance. It's called Parrot Talk, right? Yeah. As in parrots talking. Mm -hmm. um, and he wrote it, and he's not performing in it. And I want to talk about how you go about writing a play. Uh, you know, for people who don't can't conceive of how that is done. And also about how you own a play. Mm -hmm. Are you controlling? Are you hands off? How do you work with the other people involved, you know, costumers and set designers and things of that nature? So we'll get into that a little later. But first I want to um, ask you about the plot because it seems to me to be less plot driven. You, we've talked about this before, Julius and I, mm -hmm. and it's a rather surreal kind of Dada-esque play with three basic characters, a woman who is sick in bed and needs to go to the grocery store and has some phone issues, a parrot who's in his cage and wrestling with the idea of cage, cageness, <laughs> and then there's a character that's quite amorphous to me and uh, called Mind Snake. So let's, let's start there. Let's dig cool. into the characters. Um, yeah. Are these going to be episodic, where it, you know, you have an episode with the woman in mm -hmm. bed, and then we switch to the parrot, or are they going to intermingle, and how does that work? Um, so that's uh, so. Originally, when I first wrote the play, I really didn't. The, the, this I conceived of this as like I wanted to have write multiple characters that didn't interact and kind of have these different worlds that kind of only thematically interacted. Now they do much more. Um, the thing that links them is that everyone in this play is, um, because this this kind of came out of my thinking as I was reading a lot of philosophy um, and trying, and like really um, like coming to terms with how much like specific definitions of words can be so important with philosophy and how philosophy is really about like trying to define your world through through language um, and everyone in this play is trying to figure out their place in the world and they're coming up against the limitations of their own language and also like not only the limitations of language but the kind of infinite variability of language and um, in writing the play I was also coming up against this kind of um, this issue of like when you play with that concept how a word can mean so many things you start to 
tell yourself, well, words don't mean anything, which is obviously not true because the second you say something, the second you put, it on, put something on a page or out into the world, people start interpreting that. Um, and so that's like the, one of the big tensions for all of these characters is how they find like solidity in words and also how words are so amorphous and um, slippery. Sounds a little bit like <clears throat> um, Waiting for Godot, kind of, where language is a very big, you know, is mm -hmm. it, what does a word mean? Yeah. And how you say it and how you think it can be two different things that influence what it means. Maybe it doesn't, do words actually have meaning right. at their base outside of how we think of them? Right. So give us an example of the woman, and are you creating, inventing new language for these people, or? Oh yeah, so um, that's a great question. The, the characters in this play sort of speak, all the characters really speak their own kind of dialect. So Mind Snake in particular um, is kind of inventing dialects as it goes. Um, and the, and everyone has their own their own very specific way of speaking and their own very specific, and that's kind of how they are, one of the ways that they're defined. So not really, li not like inventing languages, but inventing different ways to, what I'm trying to do is, is find really like stretching the limits of how we make meaning. Can, I, can we speak in a way that is completely alien to, can these characters speak in a way that's completely alien to the way that we talk and still, still make meaning for the people in the audience. Uh, so that's really, that's really one of the big experiments in this play. Have you tested this anywhere? Um, we did a, you know, it's funny. Um, last time we talked about it, you said that this sounds like really kind of like heady. And um, I think that's true on one level. But we did do, we did a staged reading um, at Kitchen Table Galleries last year. And, um, and, and, um, even with relatively limited staging, people kind of followed along and got it. Now the play has changed since then, um, and I've sort of dug into, after that response, I sort of dug into some of this language a little further, but I think that, I think that um, what we learned is that the answer to the question is yes, people will uh, sort of, people will make meaning um, out, of what they, out of what they hear, and so now I'm like, trying to find different ways to do that and stretch it stretch it a little further see what that means and that's we're gonna kind of we're gonna um, encounter that when we go into when we start rehearsal in a month in a month are you gonna rehearse on site at da Vinci or elsewhere we're gonna rehearse um, so uh, yeah da Vinci has been Jared Markman uh, has been an, a great partner and he's and they're really working with us to make it so we can rehearse on site as much as possible um, which is it's so wonderful of them considering they have like art on the walls and they have to trust us. Um, but, uh, but we're so partially we're rehearsing there and partially we're rehearsing at, um, a, a space, um, just, just over in West Philly, uh, called nine hostage arts. Mine. Oh, nine, nine, nine as in the number hostage? nine. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. What are they? Um, so it is so nine hostage arts is run by Kitson O'Neill and Rob. I'm gonna for, I'm gonna forget his last name right now, which is not very fair. But they've been they've uh, they have a very very affordable rehearsal space that has been that's kind of been a uh, an incubator for a lot of really wonderful performances that have come up. And he's also Rob is also building 
a recording studio there. Um, at least when I was there, he was still building it. Maybe it's all ready, but um, they've got this really wonderful recording studio they're working on. So um, we're going to be rehearsing there for part of the time as well. We don't need the recording studio. We're just there for the rehearsal space. Got it. Um, although you're not going to record your play, I guess plays don't get really recorded, do they? The no. Metropolitan Opera does its own videoing yeah. of its operas, but theater doesn't do that so much, do they? No. No, it's kind not. of more ephemeral. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, you have to, um, people have talked about this, and I think it's a great idea, find ways to translate theater into like something that can be an online video, but um, you sort of, that is a whole other expertise, and all of a sudden you need, you almost need two directors, or one director who that's their vision, um, because if you've ever watched like video of a stage play, it usually is not, exciting a lot of the magic goes away so you have to have someone who knows how to get that shot and is like this is going to be a video that's going to go online um how do we how do we film it how do we do all that so right right it becomes yeah. a different animal so someone should do it <laughs> i'm just not uh i don't i don't currently and if you and if you want to work on that project reach out to me because i think it sounds great <laughs> okay um all you listening out there you video people yeah you just heard the call um because we can't really see this, mm -hmm. I want you to take us through the first scene of the play. What will people, let's say I'm sitting mm. in the front row, or uh, am I standing? <laughs> uh, you know, are you going to be in the middle of this long, mm -hmm. narrow space, and the audience will be all around you, and you're going to, what's it going to look yeah. like? Yeah, so um, the if you haven't been to Da Vinci Art Alliance, it's a really kind of it's a it's a wonderful, very specifically Philadelphia space because it is um, it is an like an old Philly row home that's been painted white and like I, I think like a wall or two have come down, um, and so it is a long space and it's a couple of different rooms, and you know we haven't gotten into rehearsal yet, so we have like a, we have a plan of how it's going to work and it might be different, but. The audience will be seated in the middle, um, and the action will kind of go on around. Um, I, I don't want to promise too much because that might change completely. Um, but uh, yeah, that that that's the way we're seeing it right now. Um, the action is going to go on all around. Interesting, but it may change as you get into rehearsals. Sure. And maybe have people in to yeah be in the middle. Yeah. So. We might decide. Okay, well, this this scene actually should happen um, should happen behind, or this scene really needs to go in the middle, or we need a little more space. Um, so, you said we. So let's talk now. Let's move into. I still can't envision it. Although it's interesting to have the audience in the middle and mm -hmm. the play or whatever the action take place around. Um, let's talk a little bit about your relationship to the actors and to, as the playwright, mm -hmm. and to the director and the other people that will be involved behind the scenes. Um, you know, are you very hands-on or do you sit back and watch? How, how does that work? So I haven't had, um, I haven't had a ton of experience with this. Um, my last, the everything else that I've worked on, I've performed it, even my last full length, the last full length plays, the last couple that I've been like a writer on, the one is a play that I wrote myself called Micromania, um, and I was the sole performer, um, and I worked with a director, uh, I worked first with Robert Gross, then with a couple of other directors at, on other iterations of it, um, 
Menon Manavit and Danny Solomon. Um, and so, and then, uh, so this is the first time though that I wrote the play and then hired director and now I'm, and I'm going to stand back. So I don't know. I think I'm going to be in all of the rehearsals, I think. Um, and unless I start to get annoying, but one of the things that, so for me, um, I have like in long, so if we talk about Micromania, which is a play that I wrote uh, originally as a short story that um, a director said, you know, this could be a, a play, this could be a one-man show. Um, and we didn't make much changes at all on the page, just kind of took it and turned it into speech. Um, the thing that was exciting for me about that project was trusting a director and letting them take letting them have control over it. So really just seeding that, and it's one of the wonderful things about playwriting, is that you can kind of get, you can take, you can take that, you can start with an idea and take it a certain distance, and then, um, and then hand it off. So some people I think are a lot more controlling. A lot of people, a lot of people direct their own work. I don't feel like I have that skill set right now. Um, and a lot of people have a better concept I think of how it's going to live on the stage when I write a play I'm like very <laughs> I, I understand very much that I have no idea what it's going to look like on the stage and I am much more comfortable working in with words and how words relate and how people relate characters relate um and then I want a director who's got a strong vision to take it and put an and you know mount it so um that's how that's that's how I tend to relate with people. I'm excited about someone else taking my work and doing something different with it. That that seems to me to be a big difference between story writing and mm -hmm. playwriting. Story writing is yours. Mm -hmm. You know, it's on the page. It may be in a magazine or mm -hmm. online somewhere, but it's out there in the world. Your child, but mm -hmm. when you write a play, as you've just explained about seeding control of this, that, and the other, you've written something that you are really letting go of in a way that is, I think not everybody could let go. Yeah, I think it can be scary if you don't, it can, like, and I have experiences, it can be scary if you don't trust the person who takes it over. Um, because then you could say, wait a minute, I've put so much, I really do have strong ideas about what this means. But if you are able to, I don't think it's ever easy, but if you're able to really like first convey what you think it is, um, and then trust the person who's taking it on, then it can be really exciting because then you can like walk away and then come back and find this thing that you, you know, almost like you're finding something new, almost like you're finding something new. And it's also, I mean, like, it's like, I, I don't know if there's a, I imagine that there's something like, like you can imagine like a fashion designer who designs these beautiful clothes and then all of a sudden they go on a person and you're like, look what that person is doing with my clothes and it's incredible what they're doing, you know? Um, or, you know, like, because you, it's in, in a weird way you get to re retain authorship while someone else puts in a lot of work. So that feels, there's something that feels good about that. Like, like you feel, um, it's or it's like if you design toys and someone plays with your toys, you know, it's like, Someone else is 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 breathing the life into it, and it's um, rewarding, and it makes you feel good about what you've done. Do you see the audience as part of the part, the sort of the play at all? I mean, you here you have an idea of them being in the middle, mm -hmm. which is an 
a non-standard way of doing a play mm -hmm. in a confined space. Mm -hmm. I mean, there is theater in the round, of course, but in this, I'm, I've been in the Da Vinci Art Alliance space, yeah. so I know that it's a row house, and yeah. so I'm trying to envision this, and it says to me that there's some role for the audience here. Do you, do you think the audience is part of the scene? Yeah, I don't know. I think one of the reasons that, and again, not to give away too much, but I think one of the reasons we kind of wanted to do it around the audience is to have options for um, sort of distorting attention and distorting meaning. Um, the play is the play is about um, you know it, it's about how people make meaning, but it's about how we kind of make meaning meaning out of all of this. Like we're getting so much signal all the time. We're we're getting so much input, whether through words or pictures or interactions. And um, some of that is inevitably noise. That's how that, or we interpret it as noise and we interpret other things as signal. So it's about how certain things are like distracting and we try to cut them out and how we even make, eventually make meaning out of those things. So I think we, we wanted to have the options to like maybe have two scenes going on at once or, or change where like, oh, if you have to turn around to look at this, how does that change how you relate to it? So I think, um, I mean, the audience in the end is the is the node. They're the signal receiver, and so um, I, I I I think it would be foolish to think of a play as being something before someone receives it. You know, so it, there's going to be people that go in, see the show, walk out, say this is what it was about, and that's what it was about. So um, in a, in a very strong way, in a, like probably a pretty traditional way, the audience is a part of it. Um, so. Yeah, yeah, I get that. So of the three actors or the three roles that you've created, mm -hmm. the sick woman, the parrot in the cage, and the mind snake, which mm -hmm. will, we don't know what that is, <laughs> do you have an itch to perform since you've done performing yourself? Um, and if so, which role? I sort of, I sort of do, um, but I'm, since I'm like the playwright, but also the producer and... Um, you know, a lot of other things that, you know, like I'm doing the marketing and the fundraising and all of that. There's no, I, I told myself there's no way. Uh, like right now we're still, we're still one role. We're still trying to fill it. And th there's a little like voice in the back of my mind saying, you could play that role. But uh, I mean, I, I, <laughs> I don't even know. Yeah. Like, like I, I don't have the, I know that that's not someplace I want to be next month when this is all coming together. And I'm still trying to like, Make a push to give pe get people to give the last amounts to the Indiegogo, which uh, which is launching on Monday, um, and trying to sell tickets. And I don't want to also be like freaking out because I'm in my own show. Yeah. But if I was gonna play one, I'd want to play the Mind Snake. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I pinned you down, Mind mm -hmm. Snake. Yeah, I'll give a I'll give a real answer to something. Okay, <laughs> that's good. Um. All right, so I'm very interested also, it, this is quite experimental mm -hmm. on many levels, and one of the things I'm interested in is that you already had a table reading at Kitchen Table mm -hmm. Galleries, and it's changed since then, mm -hmm. and it's probably continuing to change through rehearsals. Then the play will go on at the end of March, and then it will change again. The play is going to get a new iteration. If I am an audience goer, 
do I want to see the first iteration mm -hmm. or do I want to see the second iteration? Is that a fair question? Is that like oh. Sophie's choice? You know, no, which baby <laughs> should I kill? That no, that 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 that's a fair question. I think you want to see both. <laughs> um, I think um, I think you want to. I th I think you have the opportunity to see two two iterations of the same thing. There's the nothing is ever finished. Um, like there's this saying that like a poem is the best words in the best order, but there was always like, like there's always, um, people make choices and they make mistakes and there are other words that could go into that poem. Um, there are other ways that that play can be staged. And as like a, cause I'm also a, a theater critic and a dance critic and I'm always thinking about that. Well, what would happen if they had done this? Like that's, um, and so what we're that we're we're staging it twice to try two different ways of doing it. So you, if you are a big theater nerd like me, you might want to see both because you can see how it, you can see two different ways of doing the show with the same team. Um, and but you know, I, otherwise, I, th I think I think either one could be better or worse or more exciting or more to your tastes. So it's it's hard to say which one you'd rather what you want to see. It sounds like this whole project is a fringe project, mm -hmm. you know, fringe um, festival project. Mm -hmm. it, it doesn't it? How do you mean? Well, it's very experimental to yeah. have two iterations of the play a month apart. Yeah, uh, that may or may not look the same, may or may not have the same actors. <laughs> you know. Um, I hope Fringe is listening, and uh, they're like, "Oh yeah, well next year maybe." Um, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, yes, okay. yes. <laughs> well, I ask especially because you've done these Fringe Festival projects also, such mm -hmm. as your bike tour, mm -hmm. which is this remarkable group of people on bicycles, and mm -hmm. you take them around and you see how many plays in one day. Depending on so we've done it a few. We've done three iterations of the bike tour think it's two or three and um and uh across three different years of um and of of fringe and what we do is we i kind of curate these days of these days of of fringe shopping and um then sell tickets and people come and they follow me around to a bunch of different shows some days it's some of the days it was only two some of the days it was as many as four um that seems like a lot yeah yeah yeah, it, it is. It is a lot. We called it a durational, a durational theater experience, <laughs> because by the end you're like, I don't know what I'm watching. I don't know how to, I don't know how to process all of these different shows in one, in one go. Mm -hmm. hmm. Well, let's talk about you being a critic and how that. Uh, right now, you're writing a lot about dance and mm -hmm. thinking a lot about dance. So, does that influence when you're writing a play? Is there movement? aspects that right. kind of blend in somehow from other realms? I think I think my my dream would be to to do a to write a play and have like a dance theater company take it on. That would be what I would want. I think because I, I think that some of the most exciting work that's happening right now in Philly is uh, happening uh, it's being made by people who are working on the on the fringe of dance and theater, and people that really understand um, movement, but also understand words and um, and how those and how 
and how they can and how they really can work together. Um, like, can you give an example of people that are doing this? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think uh, I think so. Someone that I've always really thought was wonderful is Annie Wilson, who has a really she's really um, sharp about she. I think she is um, sort of originally she's one of the, she's a person that that moved from dance towards theater, and all of her work has a strong. Have you seen any of her? No. So um, all of her work has a strong dance component, but she has. Um, She's really, for her, theater, like bringing theater into it um, helps to give context hmm. and, you know, like real world context to the dance and something to react to. So um, a few years ago, she did a show called Lover Tits um, at Fringe that was like a Fringe favorite. And, and uh, she just did another show and I'm gonna forget the, that I reviewed for Thinking Dance but I'm gonna forget the name of it um, another person who is really excellent and uh, is Sam Tower um, she again from the from the dance world originally I, I first saw her work because she was curating these these series um, these dance series where there'd be like three uh, new dance works in a night and then she started uh, she kind of built a name for herself out of that and then did a couple of really amazing fringe shows including um 901 nowhere street was the one a few years ago um and uh and it was like this noir theater piece where all of the characters were really defined so strongly through these um like exaggerated movement styles which was really fascinating and exciting to watch because you you were able to instead of instead of sort of learning about character through what they say and and how they treat each other which you kind of do too there's this always there was this initial like way this character moves in a very in an abstracted and unusual way and on an on non-naturalistic way that really helped you to 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 dig in um and have like almost like a visceral reaction to these characters from the start so hmm. um but but bringing those worlds together uh, allows you to do a lot. Is that a Philly thing, or is that happening worldwide in dance uh, and I think theater? I think it's happening worldwide. I think I think it's I think it's a particularly strong underground uh, performance scene in Philadelphia. Is this is this world where dance and theater are are meeting? Cool. Um. All right. So let's get biographical. Great. <laughs> You are from Northeast Philly. You grew mm -hmm. up here and went to school at Hobart and William Smith College in upstate New York, and you have a degree in English. Mm -hmm. So did you write plays in college? I did. Um, college is where I first really started getting into theater. Um, and I, you know, one of the reasons I chose uh, Hobart and William Smith is because I, I knew it had a, sm a small theater com a theater program, and I was like, well, I can I can dig into that and have a lot of fun and do what I want, and there won't be a lot of competition. Um, so I ended up I ended up running the student theater company for a couple of years. Um, was involved in a lot of productions. I got to um, like produce little like play festivals and other people's plays, and that was really in like an extremely low stakes environment. Um, and I also would write, I also wrote short play, a few short plays and had those directed by other people. And then I wrote, um, I wrote a full length play called Mona Lisa Exiled, which was my, that was my 
um, I guess my senior thesis project, which I had to write that and direct it myself. So and that sounds like art and theater and yeah. whatnot. Yeah. So did you put on plays for your parents in your home when you were no. growing up? No, when high I was school. When no. Did, when did the bug <laughs> hit? I think um I think what happened was in high school, I was in a I was kind of I hung out with some of the the theater kids and I decided those were the cool kids and I was I was like played small roles in a couple of school productions. But um, when I went to when I went to college, I was like, "That's the scene that I want to." Those are the people that I want to know. So it was very much from a like, "That's those are the cool kids" perspective. And then it developed into an actual love of of theater and and how theater can be a way of finding of finding and expressing truth um, through mm, my truth. work there. Yeah, it's about truth. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Um, how let. Craft-wise, how do you write? Do you write longhand? Do you type at a computer? Do you speak into a note-taking device and then transcribe it? Yeah, I've sure sort of tried all of those. Um, the way that I've written my last couple of pieces has completely been... Um, I did a little bit of speaking into a device for Parrot Talk, especially for revisions, because I would be stuck for long periods of time, and then I'd be walking, and I'd think, oh, this is a good... That's good. Those words go together well. And then I'd, you know... So, um, but, and then I would record it, but for the most part, I type, um, it's, I, I get, I'm like, I'm such a millennial. I get like, I'll write for about like 30 seconds before my whole body is exhausted. I can't, I can't longhand write, um, which I'm sure people will find shameful, but no, I, I do it all, um, on a computer, okay. do it all typing. Um, How old are you? I'm 31. Oh, yeah. young, 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 young. <laughs> As someone who is not young, 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 <laughs> I can say that. Um, all right. And I think it's interesting that you say your millennialness is what makes you tired using a pen. Yeah. I, I hadn't really thought that thought before. Well, I don't know. I guess it's because I grew up with a, with a computer, right? And so, or at least by the time I was 12 or something, I was using a computer. And so, and I, my mom made me learn to type. And so as soon as I could, I stopped, um, I stopped uh, handwriting hand. as much as possible. And, and I just don't have the, there's, there are muscles that don't get worked. I don't buy it, but <laughs> you can say that. <laughs> okay, um, is there anything else you want to say about your play that we didn't cover? Um, no, this has been, this has been great. Um, the only thing I do want to plug um, and say that our, my Indiegogo campaign is launching this Monday, um, and uh, when we, I think when uh, Roberta publishes this podcast on the art blog, it will have links to it, so you should donate to it. Um, the All of the donations to the Indiegogo will go, are go, going directly to the personnel budget line, which is by far the largest budget line, like by far the largest budget line. We're doing this by the skin of our teeth. Um, and uh, and so let's let's make sure that artists get, get paid. paid. Yeah, people need to be paid. I'm yeah. I'm with you on that. Well, thank you so much, Julius. I look forward to seeing Parrot Talk. Yeah, thank you, Roberta. This has been great. Cool. <laughs>